Welcome to Regulate Tech episode 15 with uh, me, Niklas Berlumlund, and... And me, Richard Allen, or perhaps some artificial intelligence-generated chatbot version of Richard Allen. We shall see. Ah, yes. You could be a deep fake. I read in The Guardian this morning that there was a deep fake used in some outreach to parliamentarians, which sounded scary. Now, the re- the reason we're talking about AI is, of course, that the European Commission has decided to um, uh, present its uh, thoughts and ideas on how to regulate artificial intelligence in what you have to say is a fairly comprehensive act, right? It is, yes. I mean, it's um, interesting in, in the manner of these things uh, um, the legislation both sort of goes very broad and goes quite specific um and and it's curious i mean we we've both been involved in the way in which these proposals are drawn up they tend to be taking input on what the topical issues of the day are so in this case you'll see a lot in this regulation about things like using biometrics in public spaces and deep fakes which are clearly kind of hot issues in 2021 and then the, the, that sort of set within the context this very, very broad thing, which aims to regulate all uses of all kinds of AI uh, anywhere within the European Union. And they're both in this, this instrument together. And it's interesting because if it, we, we have to, uh, if we take two or three steps back, we have to, to say that the term artificial intelligence is really not that clear cut or clearly defined. I mean, it's it's such an they even say it's a family of technologies, right? And and it's a really broad family of technologies. And if you look in the annex where they're supposedly, you know, they're going to specify this, they're just three different specifications, and it is everything in the kitchen sink. It's sort of Bayesian uh, reasoning, it's neural networks, it's uh, automated prediction mechanisms, and so. So it's it, it's sort of at this point uh, hard to understand how to delimit artificial intelligence. I mean, is targeted advertising artificial intelligence under this definition? Yeah, I, I agree. The entirety is very is very difficult, and um, uh, I, I actually look at another example which we just feature in it, which is the facial recognition, and so, so the way in which, in sort of simple terms, facial recognition works is that. Um, from a picture, a computer will take a bunch of measurements. How long is your nose? How wide set are your eyes? How, you know, what's the shape of your mouth, et cetera, et cetera. And it can create a signature based on those measurements. And then it essentially looks at all new pictures that come before it, calculates the signature and says, do these two signatures match? Now, there's a question, like, you know, if, if a human sat and sort of worked out the the algorithm for how we create those signatures – is that artificial intelligence? <laughs> and then applies that. So if you're, if you're just calculating a number and somebody's figured out how to calculate the number, is that artificial intelligence? Or, or does it become artificial intelligence once you say to the computer, what I want you to do is recognize faces and you go figure out what those algorithms should be in order to, to do those uh, calculations? And so, so there's a sort of gradation from, you know, you're just programming a computer to do something that, you as a human already understand how to do, you know, but a human figures out, well, if I take these measurements, I can create a signature, I can start to recognize faces. You start there and then you move along the spectrum till you get to the point where you're, you're giving a computer a problem and saying, computer, figure out the best way to, to address this problem rather than me giving you a detailed instruction set. And actually the kind of systems we got deployed out there, in the real world, and targeted advertising would be another example, run right across that spectrum from you know, the very simple, 
if the person said that they like Coca-Cola, we will classify them as a Coca-Cola liker, and now we'll show them Coca-Cola ads, through to, hey, computer, can you, through some magic process, figure out the kind of people that would like Coca-Cola? Uh, and I may not you know, even understand how you're doing that, but as long as you get the people who like Coca-Cola, great. And I think there we would say that's, again, more at the artificial intelligence end of the spectrum because the human has not given detailed instructions. It's allowed the computer to work out the solution. But of course, you know, I think that's interesting. Yeah, meta problem though. Yeah, sorry, God. Yeah, the way in which the computer works out the solution was human derived. <laughs> so, so we always come back to humans at some point. And I think, I mean, you you could take the extreme posi- position that uh, in artificial intelligence is just arithmetic. And what the commission is doing here is essentially that it's regulating arithmetic that is complex enough. So if a system becomes complex enough, we're going to label it artificial intelligence. And then we're going to say that there are things that this system can and cannot do. So so I think it's, I think it's tremendously interesting. And I think that the, the lack of clarity here is, is something that I think is worth analyzing more because you can imagine a world in which people look at this um, piece of legislation or these regulations and say, look, I don't know what my system is, but I'm not going to take the risk of a 6 or 4% fine, you know, 30 to 20 million on my global revenue and introduce this into the European Union. So it, it, is, it, is, it is in stark contrast with the with the communication and the messaging from the commission, which is saying that now we're putting everything in place for these systems to be deployed, but in a responsible way. I am really curious as to how the long-term effect of legislation around the concept that's so fuzzy as artificial intelligence, how, how that will play out. And, and I, I think you, you would have to agree, I think, that there is at least some risk that you put a, a dampening effect on, on the introduction of these systems. Yes, I mean, there's a, there's a macro question which, which actually runs as a thread through the entire communication, which is, does more regulation increase trust and does increased trust increase take-up? And actually, this is, again, you and I have looked at European Union legislation over the years in the technology space, and, and a lot of it is based precisely on, on uh, the, the European institution's view that that is the right logic. And, and so, again, you look at the conversation around the data protection regulation, which people, again, might argue would dissuade people from doing things with uh, data because they're too scared. And you look at the European uh, Commission's defense of that, and they say, no, 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 it's essential that we regulate this thing carefully in order for people to have trust. And if people have trust, then they will use the technology. And uh, we talked last week, didn't we, about uh, uh, Larry Lessig's code is law sort of concept. And, and I think the European Union is strongly in that view, and it's contestable, but their view is that, look, if we use the law to define the boundaries of code or the shape of code, then that's going to make the code, uh, the the systems, much more acceptable uh, to the users, to the community in the European Union. Again, contestable. Um, I agree. I I have a certain skepticism of the view that that uh, um, law automatically generates trust, which automatically leads to higher take up. I think there's a lot in there to unpack, but but that's clearly the logic that the EU is following. Law equals trust equals take up. 
Yes, and I also think that it, to a certain degree, um, you can see this in the way that the the, the big tech companies have been um, welcoming the proposal. I think they welcome the clarity, and then what they're going to have to negotiate as the legislation goes into a longer period of consultation, etc., is how can that clarity be brought out more? How can we get more predictability from the legislation? I think the GDPR did a good work of trying to sort of set predictability and give people a sense of what happens when and what you need to do, especially with the codes of conduct in there and the data protection authorities providing a lot of material to to interpret how it's going to be used. There's still this 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 penumbra of uncertainty that surrounds it absolutely but i think here i i am i'm the, the concept of artificial intelligence is so much broader than even the concept of personal data and, and that's saying something because that's quite quite a broad concept too and and i i i, I do wonder how how this will be uh, how how you risk minimize or how you risk manage vis-a-vis such a fussy set of of definitions but i, I it's been interesting to follow the, the the commentary from the industry because i think most people realize that this is inevitable you even have the ftc saying that they'll go after people who are now selling bias algorithms so regulation is coming now the question is how do you negotiate it to a point where it's where it's understandable and where it's predictable um, there, there's another aspect here you talked about the sort of the the tech regulation but there's almost a nuance in this regulation of the kind of attitude you find in European regulation on GMOs yes don't you think yeah yeah I think there is there is that sort of um sense although in this case they've obviously not proposed a moratorium, but they've proposed this sort of category of high-risk activity. So again, if people want to un- unpick the regulation, if they're not looked at it yet, it, it, it sort of says, here's here's a certain set of uh, artificial intelligence um, techniques that we will prohibit. Here's another set that we will consider high-risk and we'll put a lot of obligations on. And then here's some things you should do for the rest, like you know, sort of lower set of obligations like transparency. And actually, interestingly, in, in in reflecting on the industry reaction, that most of the high-risk activities are actually much more targeted, I think, towards government than they are towards the private sector. If you look at where, where they're really focused, it is it's things like bias in education opportunities, bias in uh, employment practices, uh, law enforcement uses of uh, uh, artificial intelligence systems. So when, when you look through it, most of it is actually talking about stuff that I would say is sort of more in the government domain and where I'm, I'm sure lots of companies would agree those are sort of good things to do. There's one little hook in there, though, that I, I think is really curious, where it talks about prohibited systems. And one of the areas that it wants to prohibit is is subliminal techniques, where artificial intelligence is used in a way that's subliminal intended to affect the behavior of people that then causes harm. And that's expressed in quite general terms. So so one thing still to tease out is whether or not those provisions, which actually are not um, provisions saying you can do this if you tick these boxes, they're provisions that say you can't do this, whether things like some of the commercial activities of private companies will fall into that category and end up being prohibited. Um, and so I think a lot of the discussion we have to have now is to go through this regulation and and really try and understand something which which I often feel is lacking when we debate um, legislation at the EU level in particular, and that is the political intent. You know, is it the intent of the European Union, for example, by putting that wording in about subliminal techniques that may cause harm to persons? Is it their intent 
to ban certain advertising and marketing practices or not. And I think we need to understand that. How far do they want to go, you know, with these restrictions on education, employment, uh, uh, biometric use of data in public spaces? Can we tease that out with real concrete examples? And can we do that now (laughs) rather than sort of later in court cases once the legislation has been adopted? And with the board that they're proposing, because there's an institutional framework in there as well. I also I also jumped at the subliminal because it reminded me of the 1960s discussion about television advertising, where there was this hype around subliminal messaging. If you showed somebody a Coca-Cola for a couple of microseconds, they would be more likely to pick a Coca-Cola when they went out from the from the cinema, for example. It turned out all of those studies were false. There was no subliminal effect. And subliminal if you really understand what the word means, it means below the level of consciousness. And and it's hard to argue that anything that happens on the internet is below the level of consciousness. It's not as if you, I mean, the, the idea of television advertising quickly flashed at you is, is hard to do, uh, even in advertising online. And if that's what you're prohibiting, you're prohibiting something that's such an edge case that, edge case that, you, that you hardly needed to sort of have that first at the list of prohibited systems. And it, subliminal here seems to be more more geared towards the concept of of manipulative the something that sort of makes you do something that you would not otherwise do and that is super hard to tease out i think it's it, you know how do you unpack the motivations behind the person's decisions when one component of that is a persuasive ad for example or a persuasive social media feed organization if manipulative is what you mean with subliminal then i would argue that everything around you essentially has a small manipulative effect on the decisions you make allowing also for a little bit of residual agency somewhere in there because uh, you know we do believe in people's free will to make their own decisions but but it it is sort of it brought home to me again that that we're we're back in a 1960s sort of oh genetics where will it take us oh the you know there are limits to growth oh this is really dangerous and we can be manipulated by propaganda there there is a shift in the underlying view of technology as a net benefit or a net risk. Yes, yeah, so, so I think this, this tolerance of risk is cr- critical. So if we if we look at that specific example and, and use Kirk as well, so, so in Article 5 of this directive or this regulation, it says following artificial intelligence shall be prohibited. So this one is the critical one. The placing on the market, putting into service or use of an AI system that deploys subliminal techniques beyond a person's consciousness in order to materially distort a person's behavior in a manner that causes or is likely to cause that person or another person physical or psychological harm. And so, so yeah, so to, at what point does advertising Coca-Cola, uh, which may cause your blood sugar to rise and therefore be regarded as physical harm, at what point does that fall foul of this? Or, or, or is it never? I mean, I, that's the kind of clarity I think we need. Are, are, is the political intent absolutely not to allow or not to prohibit, you know, very sophisticated targeting practices, which will be beyond the person's understanding but beyond their consciousness but maybe not regarded as subliminal i don't know that's the key word here um and 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 what do we mean by this sort of physical or psychological harm like is it the the threshold of well you know drinking a sugary drink might give you diabetes or is it something much more immediate uh, when we think of harm so all of this stuff needs to be teased out and i say for, for my money what i like to see in the legislative process is 
concrete sort of discussion and challenge around specific scenarios. So can we can 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 someone explain? Uh, and and there's a risk often they say no 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 you know the legislation is what it is but no no explain do you mean what what do you mean to prohibit with those provisions and there's there's a second provision after that that, that talks about you know specifically uh, these kind of techniques in relation to children and vulnerable persons and legislation doesn't come out of a vacuum people who, who follow this area will have been aware of a, a discussion about a, a, I think it was a leaked slide deck where Facebook was. Uh, looking at targeting, I think it was in Australia, actually targeting uh, or, or suggested that they could target ads at teenagers who were in particular emotional states. And and it's, you know, it seems pretty obvious to me that those kind of things are fed into the process that's led to this um, uh, legislation. So again, let's be explicit. If that is the concern and these provisions are intended uh, to address those concerns and prohibit that, let's talk about that. And let's talk about how far beyond that it's intended to go. Um, and again, I think that's a perfectly reasonable discussion to have. I say my my frustration, I think, um, over the years as I've looked at legislation is that sometimes we, we're not willing to do that or, or you know, policymakers don't want to get as specific. They, they, they want to uh, talk about the general principles but not illustrate it with examples. I actually don't think that's helpful. I think as the public, we need to know. Um, and, you know, and and as policymakers, they have a right to prohibit things. If they want to prohibit advertising, go ahead and do that, or certain forms of advertising. But let's talk about that. Um, again, we've talked about it numerous times on this podcast. One of my favourite examples, again, being this e-privacy directive and cookies. I think the political intent was to ban cookie-driven targeted advertising. And and if people had said that, <laughs> and, and, and we could have had a discussion about what's the best way, or do we agree politically we want to ban advertising based on tracking people around the web? And if so, what's the best way to do that? I think it would have just been a better and perhaps more effective policy discussion than one that says, well, no, 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 we're just going to regulate these things called t- cookies in, in general terms. I actually, I don't think the policymakers cared about the cookies that we use for loads of other stuff. They, they just cared about banning targeted advertising perfectly entitled to do that so again here i'd say as we go through this regulation let's ask the question uh you, you mentioned earlier you know the, the reference to bayesian analysis well that's what all the anti-spam systems use and that you know anti-spam systems are actually really really smart systems that save us all a huge amount of time again you know uh what is the intent in respect of anti-spam systems are we going to end up where providers of anti-spam systems, they have to deinstall them and we're going to have to have all this crap flooding into our inboxes because they can't you know, pass the requirements to demonstrate that their anti-spam artificial intelligence uh, is compliant. Yeah, that, let's- or that's not biasing against certain groups of people. Like, you know, yeah. um, if the word Nigeria uh, vocationally comes up, you are certainly going to bias against that, which means that there's a biasing effect against Nigerians because of the, the well-known uh, email scams. And so is that allowable or not? I, th- I mean, I think you're putting your point on a, on, a, on a structural problem, which is that political intent translates badly into legal language. And I think that's something that, that we have seen many, many times. And I think you're right to, to emphasize the political intent, but I also think it's one of the things that you see is that when political intent then needs to be interpreted into legislative language or into legal frameworks or legal thinking or legal concepts, they try to find that linchpin concept that they can work with. And they try to make sure that they have a clear criterion because the law is binary. It can only come out 
one way or another. It's in scope, out of scope. It's legal, illegal. And so, so you have to find that level of precision. But when you do that, when you seek that level of precision, you automatically also lose the political intent. It doesn't translate into legal language. And I think that's a, I think that's a deep structural problem, especially with complex domains like technology. But I want to come back to, I want to sort of, let's, let's sort of take on the challenge and, and sort of put ourselves on the spot a bit. Give me an example of what you think could be uh, placing of the market, putting into service or use in an AI system that deploys subliminal techniques that causes psychological harm. What could that be? What kind of system? What kind of case? Give me an example of what you think that could could what, what you're trying to now back out or reverse engineer the political well, well when i read that I, I actually do wonder if this is intended to regulate the algorithms for example that govern social media news feeds um again you could argue with there's been a lot of case studies and, and i'm sure some people will feel there's a case for that but um for example where uh, teenagers are self-harming and the allegation is that something that encouraged that self-harming was the way in which algorithms, which according to this definition are powered by artificial intelligence, they learn uh, about what people like and they present content to them, that those algorithms presented them with um, more self-harm content that encouraged the self-harming. And again, we, we can argue about whether or not the the um that was constitutes subliminality is that subliminal enough uh that it's happened i mean certainly the person who's seeing the stream of content in the news feed may not have a full understanding uh, uh they may they may experience it or view, or or view that as being subliminal in the sense that content is streaming past and they weren't really really sort of fully switched onto it Again, I don't know how a judge would see that if this ever sort of comes up, but that's the kind of example. And then there's certainly, it would meet the criteria for psychological or physical harm if uh, a teenager is self-harming because of content they viewed online. So so that's a concrete example that I'd love to discuss. It's discussed in other fora already. Uh, It's discussed in a lot of the online harms uh, kind of legislative proposal we've got. But is it the intent uh, here to prohibit in some way or is intended to bring that into scope and then prohibit certain forms of um, content organizing algorithm under this particular provision within the AI legislation. I, I like that because it, it sort of forces us to ask a number of concrete questions. The first is, is the way that we're organizing, say, recommendation algorithms is is that subliminal techniques? So you can imagine a judge being um, faced with this would then have to first determine: are the is the way that the the feed is constructed subliminal techniques? Is the way that you know, say, a video site shows recommendations is that subliminal technique? Once they have sort of put that down and said that it's beyond the person's consciousness, which is which is a metaphysical criterion, if ever I heard one, <laughs> um, but it's it's sort of an interesting one. Once they do that, they would then have to, I think, do several different things. They would have to they would have to show that this materially distorted the person's behavior, that that person was not self harming without that subliminal technique. That needs to be the second sort of discussion that you have. Uh, you know, is this a subliminal technique? Did this subliminal technique materially distort a person's behavior in a manner, and then that you have to have the causality in the manner that is likely to call, uh, cause that person or another person physical or psychological harm? There's a lot to unpack there, and I think that making that case that a recommendation algorithm or a feed organization algorithm has 
both materially distorted behavior and has um, and constitutes a subliminal technique. That's that's going to be super interesting because if that is where you end up, if you imagine a decision from a court that says that the way you organize the feed is a subliminal technique, it materially distorted. This is such an interesting question. What does it mean to materially distort someone's behavior? Yeah. If they were self-harming before, how do you unpack then the last piece of this, the causality between the material distortion and the physical or psychological harm. Seems to me that a case like that would be, it, it would be tremendously complex to sort of just unpack. And the, the kind of evidence you would have to offer would almost be on a metaphysical level where you talk about freedom of will and agency. And and and, and we're getting to a point where, where the imagined court cases, which is another way that I usually approach legislation to think, okay, what are the court cases that can flow from this? Well, and how would they be decided? The imagined court cases, the space of imagined court cases is vast yes. and extraordinarily complex. Yeah. I think this is this is really interesting. Yeah. And and uh, and again, let's say I, I, I strongly favor us teasing these things out because I, I, I'm pretty confident that there are people who have been sort of supportive of this kind of wording, who are thinking it precisely in those terms, that this will be a way, you know, to, to, to prevent harms that they um, legitimately believe are occurring because of s- certain algorithmic behavior. Um, but let, let's flush that out. I and mean, it's interesting what you said about political intent. Uh, again, this is a, another recurrent theme, the US-EU divide, you know, the, the US, uh, their legislation all is very much framed in terms of political intent and, and the names of their bills, they're, they're bill would be called, you know, stop harmful AI now uh, uh, would be the sort of legislation. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of some of the, the name, but they, they're really clear. This is what we are trying to do. And then we're going to try and find some legal wording that matches it. And, and it's often quite sort of narrow and specific. EU at the other end of the spectrum, it tends to be in very sort of high principle, generic, they call it horizontal legislation. You know, it's very so high principle and generic. And there's almost a reluctance to get too detailed. There's no, 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 we'll put this in place and then we'll see how it plays out. Um, I'm probably somewhere in between. I'm definitely not going to be, you know, the supporting the Anglo-Saxon model against the EU model. But I think I think there's something in the public interest that we we need to get more concrete, even when we're doing horizontal legislation. Again, just so we understand what what is intended here. And then you have the opportunity to change it. If the intention is to uh, prohibit certain forms of content arrangement algorithm through this provision in the AI legislation, that's really important (laughs) and material. And then will actually affect the discussion of the Digital Services Act and other instruments that are going through. If the intention is not... Then again, similarly, that will have an effect. If if it's a no, 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 uh, this is you know this very specific set of problems we intend to regulate here, and we absolutely don't want to go near you know newsfeed algorithms. Then we know that the newsfeed algorithm stuff is going to be regulated in the Digital Services Act. But to leave it mysterious and or, or mysterious unless and until some judge five years down the line <laughs> takes a view on what constitutes consciousness and materiality and all of these things i actually just don't think it serves any of us well either those who who want the the regulation to prohibit something or those who fear the regulation will prohibit something and want to defend it um so let's tease all of this out now 
Yes, and also tease out what we think is reasonable mitigation. Because what what strikes me about what we said about the first example is that you can explode that whole first case, if you think about it as a court case again, by just having at the top of the social media feed or the video site a a butter bar, as we usually call them, a small bar that says that your feed is organized according to the following algorithm. At that point, it's brought up from beyond your consciousness to your consciousness. It's front of you all the time, and you're alerted to it. Is that enough to make it not a subliminal technique? Uh, uh, Even if it materially distorts your behavior and causes you psychological harm? Seems to me that you can sort of you can address this in a really weird way, which is just telling people you're being manipulated. And we know that people don't necessarily read those notices, much thanks to the, the cookie legislation that has taught us not to read notices, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and then you end up with a situation where, where this whole paragraph sort of falls apart because of the subliminality criterion. And, and I think those things are also really interesting because it's, it's very rare that we get a discussion of the unintended consequences of a legislative uh, model or framework. It's more that, you know, the, 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 there's an effective discussion about whether or not we should regulate which is which is a far less interesting one because I, I actually think there's vast agreement on some kind of regulation needed um, the, the, and one other sign I think that, that this is what's happening here and that we're, we're sort of facing a, a, a very a very strange kind of legislation is the the third kind of prohibited system uh, which is essentially even though it's not outspoken uh, the European Commission seems to intend uh, Chinese social scoring systems. Yes, and so they're putting in a bit of geopolitical criticism in here as well, just to to make sure that they're distinguish, distinguishing themselves from what they feel are are dictatorial uses of uh, this technology. So it's a, it's a strange mix of the precautionary principle, the GMO thinking, a technology skepticism, a bit of geopolitical signaling, and all around uh, um, a sometimes or often hastily defined set of concepts. Um, yeah, I, I, I wonder how the. Do you think this will become law? Do you I think mean, it will pass through? It, it's got it's got a long way to run. I think it will. I mean, I think the political will is there for it to become law. But but I see that scenario you described before about that. You know, you could put a notice up to stop something being subliminal. That's the worst of all possible worlds. And that is again my criticism of the cookie regulation. Is it doesn't do what it was intended. If the intent is to stop uh, algorithms, you know, content algorithms doing these things. It fails to do that uh, um, uh, because they're they're still permitted, and it irritates the user because you put this notice up, so which they'll end up sort of ignoring or clicking through. So, worst of all possible worlds. So, either either you know, say you intend to ban it and don't allow people to have a get out where they can just offer a button or a notice thing and get get around it if that is your intent and you have political support for it or say you don't intend to ban it and so you don't waste everyone's time like putting up all of these notices and recoding their systems for something that is just sort of irritating so just just on that specifically on your general point that there is a sort of collection of different stuff yeah i i also found that fascinating the social scoring piece it being in there and also some of the things that are not in there that that i thought might be but again it may be because there's other legislation going on and that's you know automated content review and content removal which is another sort of hot button issue and is definitely ai powered um so ai is used to to understand whether something is terrorist content or sexual abuse content very common and that isn't explicitly mentioned in here um so the social scoring piece is and again a focus on governments doing it um, but there's a whole other world, say, of companies doing stuff, uh, including 
you could argue it's social scoring that they will uh, when they get a complaint about an individual they will look at if they've had negative signals from other users about that individual to to understand what action to take and again i perfectly legitimately i think in the public interest um so yes it's interesting what's in there which i think does reflect the broader geopolitical discussion and they're trying to make sure those bases are covered also interesting what's not in there and some of this stuff sort of surprised me um and and another area you know clearly is very topical is this whole notion of biometric scanning in public places uh and again you dig into that and i i found that fascinating because the restrictions in the regulation are on doing it for law enforcement purposes and essentially it's saying you know uh you've got to be scanning for people who are who are accused of something serious so it doesn't it doesn't stop you doing it but the database of people you were scanning for i think you know if you were in a you know on a transport system and you wanted to scan for terrorist suspects fine if you wanted to scan for fair dodgers not okay um if you want to scan for people traffickers and drug smugglers in you know, again absolutely fine as as far as i read this regulation but i say these lesser offenses uh, wouldn't be i was curious with with a very sort of well developed example which again i think is the kind of thing we should discuss up front um football stadia <laughs> will often use a video to scan for people they banned, known hooligans that they don't want. As far as I can see, that's not a law enforcement purpose. It's a private organization trying to prohibit people they don't want coming into their grounds. But is it? <laughs> Question. Is that, uh, Would that fall within the <laughs> scope and then be banned and they'd have to go back to the old system, which is having people they call super spotters sitting there with a set of photos on the CCTV system, so humans doing the work instead? Or is that okay because it's not law enforcement? And they're, what they're really worried about is, you know, um, the long arm of the law, uh, police arresting people for uh, doing stuff in the street. Um, but they're okay with people doing scanning in private places for non-law enforcement purposes. Again, this is the sort of stuff we've, got, we've sort of got to pull out of there and try and get firmed up as, as it goes through the process. It's probably going to be classified as a high-risk um, system, uh, exactly. even though it's in sort of a private company's operation. So, I, th- I mean, I, I, I agree with that. And I think that uh, it's, it's, um, it's going to be really interesting to... I hope we have that material discussion about the substance of the regulation going forward, about the imagined court cases that can come out of this, because I think it's really important. And I, I, I do think... Uh, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think that this will, in some shape or form, um, become legislation. And it's it's interesting if you read the preamble and you read the, the sort of the introduction um, that the commission is highlighting and really bringing out how much they've been working off of material from the European Parliament. So it seems clear that they they sort of they want to bring the European Parliament on board and say, look, we've heard what you've said. Here are a lot of different things that you worked on. We've put them into this regulation. Let's now see if we cannot get this through in some kind of reasonable time. So so it actually becomes effective law. So I think it's then then up to the council to think about that. But there's another there's another uh, there are two other interesting um, glaring. Um, exceptions that are explicit actually one of them is that it doesn't cover anything for military purposes so the military purposes are exempted from the legislation and i think that speaks to to um 
uh, a real concern around what kinds of material advantage you can get strategically by using artificial intelligence in the military. And it, it sort of suggests that you see a geopolitical and military advantage in artificial intelligence that you don't want to unhand. You want to have international treaties around this instead, which is the discussion that's now ongoing. Um, and the other is that they, they are uh, also being very clear about the fact that it doesn't hit, which is, uh, which is interesting, it doesn't hit government agencies in other countries. Uh, it doesn't in any way um, stop them from using these technologies in ways which um, the European Union wouldn't allow. And I think, I think there you see the, the beginning recognition of an emergence of three cultures of not just artificial intelligence, but, you know, it starts with artificial intelligence, three cultures of regulating artificial intelligence, the American one, the Chinese one, and the European one. And, and this, this almost, this almost accepts that as a natural given and says, okay, we're going to have three kinds of regulatory regimes here. And we have to understand where we can't extend our own jurisdiction and where we have to sort of mark off where we don't want to end up. So there's a, there's a um, th- there's an interesting uh, regionalization of the issue here. I think. I think you're right. Right on that. Then there has to be mutual respect. I mean, a- again, when when you pass a law, it has to be enforceable and 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 reasonable and realistic. And so, to pass a law that that says, you know, the United States can't use certain techniques for its own border control or security or whatever purposes just because they're prohibited in the the EU, if the US is doing it on EU citizens, but for the US's own purposes, I think that's just an unrealistic law. And, and there's a sort of do as you would be done by here. Uh, the EU would not accept the United States uh, telling the EU how it can uh, operate certain um, public functions. And therefore, it has to sort of refrain, I think, um, from telling other countries how they can do that in respect to their own business. Um, on, on the sort of military exception, uh, actually, that, that's a really interesting area. That obviously, the, the interesting thing about the European Union, uh, again, people who live in the EU will be aware of this, maybe not people sort of further afield, is, is that it, it is excluded from a whole bunch of security-related considerations. It, it, those aren't within the EU's competence. It starts, the start of the EU is enabling a single market, and that thread again runs through here. It's saying, look, the, the purpose of this regulation is primarily to enable the free flow of AI products across the EU. It's a single market sort of rooted purpose. And then where EU competence kind of stops is when you get to sensitive national security issues, which are still a, a member state competence. I actually think in this regulation, you're going to hit some of those border areas. And we've we've already seen it actually um, in other other spaces around data protection and privacy, where uh, uh, particularly around things like surveillance, where you know surveillance for uh, national security purposes is not something that is regulated by the EU. There's no no sort of EU surveillance legislation. Yet there are some EU level instruments that sort of touch on that, and where there has been at times a tension between how the European Court of Justice interprets people's privacy rights and national uh, law enforcement, national security type surveillance rules. And that's still being worked out. And again, you can see in this regulation, a lot of scope for that. So some of these questions around scanning for biometric purposes, that they've tried to square it by pointing to an EU list of offences that will be permitted. You will be able to scan for these, and they cover most of the stuff that most people care about, like terrorism and child abuse and you know, sort of serious kind of offences. 
But you can see some potential there for tension where some governments in the EU will go, whoa, hang on a minute. You know, if I want to deploy uh, this, football hooliganism would be an example. I have a real problem with football hooliganism. That's not on the list of offences, but I want to put sort of spotter cameras outside my football grounds and try and catch the hooligans as law enforcement. You can imagine that that's going to lead to some uh, tension. One country where that would have been, I think, a thing would have been the UK, but fortunately, from the EU's point of view, we're no longer in the club, so they don't have to worry what we think. But I can imagine other EU countries will have other you know, specific uh, requirements that they would regard as being in the security space and outside the EU competence, where it might butt up against some of the stuff in this regulation. Yes, and, and and I think that's right. I think that before we before we sort of close, I think one of the things that we we should mention, and I think is is absolutely essential in in understanding this legislation, is also that that uh, while there are all of these um, open questions that we hopefully will get answers to in the legislative process, there's also some quite hefty penalties. Yes. Um, a six percent of global revenues, or thirty million, or four percent of global revenues, or twenty million. Um, that's that's a that's a good chunk of money right there that could be taken out of anyone doing this. And what I found really interesting, and I found something that I think is is worthwhile to noodle on if you're a company interested in artificial intelligence, is that the the harsher of the penalties, the one that sort of takes out six percent of your global revenue or thirty million, depending on the the severity of of the the transgression. Uh, uh, applies to two paragraphs. It applies to, obviously, the first one, which is the introduction of prohibited systems, but it also applies to Article 10. And Article 10 is the one that uh, is all about data and data governance. So what the commission has done is that they have created a massive penalty for, for example, not making the relevant design choices when you train your uh, algorithms, um, not checking for examination of possible biases, um, not checking if you know there's a there's some there's a paragraph there's a prior assessment of the availability, quantity, and suitability of the data sets that are needed. So now the way you gather data to train your algorithm is something that is under not just you know legislative or government review but also comes with a really hefty fine if you don't get it right and and i i thought one of the things that that i thought was um really interesting here was that that what you need to do is that you need to identify any possible data gaps or shortcomings and how these gaps or shortcomings can be addressed uh if you're at all engaged in science or any kind of computer science, you know, that's kind of hard. <laughs> so so, so have, why do you think they picked Article 10 as the other article to carry the most severe penalty in this regulation, the data and data governance? That, that does seem to say something about where they think the risks are. Yeah, and, and I think, I mean, it ref- again, the, the, the proposal is rooted in the notion of fundamental rights, uh, that's a sort of core part of the rationale that the European Union has adopted this Charter of Fundamental Rights, and and these carry more weight than sort of other uh, other issues that might come up. And so, I think the data question is is particularly strong for them, and it's reflected again in the General Data Protection Regulation, which has very robust penalties. Uh, it's reflected on the fact that from a EU um, constitutional, maybe use that word, perspective data rights are given a, a very high status, I think, compared with where they sit in other 
uh, jurisdictions around the world. And that was explicit and deliberate and went into this charter. And so I think any then any legal instrument will tend towards that. So it's very much focused on data with the assumption being that that may be one of the areas where there is abuse and that, and that can take a number of different uh, forms. Um, and some, I guess, w- anyway, would be sort of uh, punishable under the general data protection regulation. So you may end up with both penalties. You've both, you know, if you collect data the wrong way, you have both broken GDPR. And then if you use it the wrong way within your artificial intelligence system or don't account for it properly, you've broken this this regulation. So those, those collectively, I think, are going to be quite tough. I mean, just a reflection on the penalties generally. I, again, this is a concern I have. It's political political concerns. Whether I worry that some of these big number, big percentage headline numbers risk disappointing both sets of people. It, it risks disappointing those who want really robust action because actually the maximum penalty will rarely be justified. And you see this when you know companies get fined a few million euros for something, people will say, well, but the fine could have been billions. Why didn't you do that? Well, honestly, because this wasn't a company, you know, deliberately doing something evil, they made a technical mistake. And so the the thing is only worth a few million. And they obviously then risk uh, having a chilling effect on the companies who do when they do their uh, legal risk assessment about whether to deploy a product may put into their legal risk assessment the maximum penalty. And so you end up sort of companies being nervous because of these big numbers and potentially sort of consumers being frustrated because they're not uh, the numbers that end up being uh, levied. Again, I, I would love to see as uh, as a sort of observer of these things a lot more discussion with examples of what the intent is, that the intent is that if you deployed a you know, a social scoring system based on terrible data for no, you know, good reason at all. You you were the, the Chinese government, like, putting this system into Europe, then you're going to get the maximum penalty. If, on the other hand, you're a perfectly legitimate company who's developed an AI system and you didn't quite understand the regulation and you missed a few steps of your due diligence – you're going to have a much more modest fine. And so, again, a lot more understanding of where people sit on that spectrum uh, would, I think, be helpful rather than just relying on these headline figures, which which are, as I say, uh, potentially dissuasive to companies from innovating and potentially disappointing to claimants when they're not the resulting fine because they're actually not justified by the circumstances of a particular case. Yes, and and as a company that will give you some some solace because you you will understand that <laughs> that even if you do not, as it says in two D, formulate relevant assumptions, notably with respect to the information that the data are supposed to measure and represent, you will not be fined thirty million. Because I think this is this is sort of essentially it's an evaluation of whether or not you're doing good or bad science. And so it's 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 really interesting. And I think one of the things about Article 10 that that made me uh, pause as well was that Article 10 also contains a carve out for uh, specifically sensitive personal data if you need to use it for bias monitoring. So there's this realization that if we're going to do this well, we actually need more data. And sometimes we need the ability to process sensitive data. And that I thought that was a f- the, the sort of a first admission that data can be used for good, it can be used for really important things. It can be used to root out biases. But in order to do that, you need to actually catalog, collect, and process sensitive data. And uh, there's a paradox here that I can see 
becoming more and more tense over time where you need to collect more and more data in order to make better and better data sets so that Article 10 becomes um, a motivation for companies to gather much more data than they're gathering today because otherwise they can't fulfill the obligations under Article 10. And there's a tension there between the data protection regulation and this new regulation that I think yeah. that I think is is perhaps underestimated in some of the commentary I've seen. I think you're absolutely right. And, and again, the, the sort of obvious um, you know, recognition of things like uh, racial classifications or ethnic classifications for rooting out employment bias. But, but another area that we've discussed and I spent a lot of time thinking about, which is um, the, the impact of uh, fake news or however you want to describe it uh, on, on people's political opinions. Again, research in that area or trying to understand bias in that area means understanding people's political opinions, which is another sensitive category of data. So uh, you can't make any progress if you're trying to understand you know, does your algorithm uh, have a political impact? By definition, you can't do that without starting to make a, starting to collect data about the political opinions, attitudes and actions of of individuals. And there is a concern that without their explicit consent, uh, then that would be illegal under GDPR. So you're right, having some recognition of that, uh, that there is this, uh, I like the phrase data for good, or use of data for good, that sometimes you need to collect sensitive data in order to do the right thing. And sometimes it will not be possible to get the explicit consent of all of the people that are in that data set, um, even though GDPR generally says you should do that. Great to recognize that. Um, otherwise, you end up with this situation, which again, we've discussed where one piece of legislation is telling you to do one thing, root out the bias. And another piece says, ah, but we're going to prohibit <laughs> the stuff that you need in order to fulfill that first requirement. Uh, root out the bias, but don't collect sensitive personal data. kind of doesn't make sense. So it's great that that's recognized in Article 10. And I think it's the first crack in, in one of the principles from the 1980 OECD principles that I think is not fit for purpose anymore, this notion of data minimization, that you should collect as little data as possible. It's, it sort of recognizes that that's not always the case. You should sometimes collect more data in order to make sure that the quality of the data and the decisions based on that data are better. And I think I think that's a, that's a welcome and unarticulated discussion that we might come back to another time. We may have to come now, back to the, um, a, a classic text the OECD uh, uh, privacy. 1980 privacy principle. Uh, oh, I absolutely. That's a brilliant idea. We should actually do that. That's a good, that's a good episode. Well, um, that concludes the episode 15, which was a sort of current news artificial intelligence. Uh, here's what we're seeing. First read uh, of the European Commission's proposal. Uh, let us know, as always, if you have any ideas or thoughts, if you uh, have any questions, um, we would love it. And you can find this podcast at Rich's website, which is www www.regulate.tech Perfect. Well, have a great weekend. Take care and we hope to to speak to you. Have you listened to us? That's weird. Uh, <laughs> next week. Thank you so much and goodbye.